Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Muslims Want to Know, the show where I try to answer the questions you have about the Bible and Christianity. I'm your host, Rev. Eric Mason. Before we get to our question today, I want to remind you to hit that subscribe button and leave a review. The more reviews the podcast receives, the more it comes up as a recommendation for others. And the more it comes up as a recommendation, the more other folks get a chance to hear answers to their thoughtful questions. And speaking of questions, if you have a specific question you want addressed on this podcast, feel free to email me at revericjmason at gmail.com. And if you want to support this podcast, feel free to email me at that same email address. Again, that's revericjmason at gmail.com. As always, each podcast builds on the information from the previous ones. So if you're joining us for the first time, I recommend going back and listening to the previous episodes before resuming this one. Here is our recap. In our last episode, we answered the question, Why is music so important in Christian worship? Together, we traced the significant shifts in music throughout the history of the church as it evolved from the music of the temple and synagogue to the music of the early church. As we made that journey, you and I learned how the Reformation impacted church music and congregational singing. And finally, we discussed some of the trends in worship music today and what you can expect when visiting a church as well as what the standards of music in the church should be. I hope learning about art and music and Christianity was as fun for you as it was for me to research and record. But at this time, I want to start moving our conversations towards some of the more difficult questions for Christianity. We'll begin by answering a question that comes up pretty consistently when I speak with Muslims about the once-for-all sacrifice of Lord Jesus. On more than one occasion, I have described the death of Lord Jesus and how he died as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. In response to this, I've actually had several people say, Really? Belief in Lord Jesus gives you forgiveness of sins and assurance of salvation? So, as a Christian, what you're saying is, if I murder my friend, but I'm a Christian, I'm forgiven. And also, what you're saying is that Christians can get away with anything and suffer no consequences. Now, truth be told, I struggled with making this episode's title as concise as possible while staying true to the essence of the question being asked. So instead of answering that entire set of questions, I will be getting to the heart of the matter by answering the question, Do Christians suffer consequences? for their sins. And before we look at the answers to our question for today, let me open with a brief prayer. God, open the eyes of our hearts that we may hear your words and understand and do your will, for we are sojourners upon the earth. Do not hide your commandments from us, but open our eyes that we may perceive the wonders of your law. Speak to us the hidden and secret things of your wisdom. 
Enlighten our minds and understanding with the light of your knowledge, not just to cherish those things written, but to seek after you by doing them. Amen. So, do Christians suffer consequences for their sins? The short answer to this question is, yes, of course they do. Now, as usual, there's a longer explanation to such a short answer. And in order to more fully answer this question, I'm going to divide this podcast into four sections. Section 1. What Lord Jesus saves Christians from. Section 2. How Christians are saved. Section 3. What assurance do Christians have? And Section 4. Are there consequences for our sins after conversion? Section 1. What Lord Jesus Saves Christians From Lord Jesus saves Christians from sin and death. Christians believe that humans are both inherently sinful and willfully sinful. This is what the Apostle Paul means when he writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, inherent and willful sinfulness are the result of the fall. God cursed Adam and Eve because of their disobedience. And it's that curse which extends to all of humanity. We are inherently sinful because every human's body and soul became corrupted by sin as a result of Adam and Eve's disobedience to God in the Garden of Eden. We are willfully sinful because when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, their sinfulness severed the connection they had with God. And as a result, humanity now constantly sins in our thoughts, words, and deeds. Christians are saved from the effects of the fall through our faith in the incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Lord Jesus. Section 2. How Christians are Saved Simply put, a Christian is saved when he or she believes in what Lord Jesus did for them. Romans chapter 10, verses 9-10 through 10, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Fun fact! Salvation is an important concept found throughout the Bible. According to the Lexham Bible Dictionary, the biblical concept of salvation has to do with both physical rescue in the present life and spiritual rescue in the afterlife. The word salvation comes from the Greek words sozo, meaning to save, and soteria, meaning salvation. The study of salvation is called soteriology. Another interesting fact about salvation, as it relates to Lord Jesus, has to do with his name in Hebrew. Lord Jesus' name in Hebrew is Yeshua, which also means to save. And that brings up a great question. 
why don't Christians today refer to Lord Jesus as Yeshua, or even the Greek term Sozo? Well, it's because the New Testament was written in Greek. And from what we know, Yeshua was transliterated to the Greek word Jesus, which was then translated into Latin as Jesus, which again was transliterated into English as Jesus. And this is why many Christians, especially in English-speaking countries, call him Lord Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves us through his life, death, and resurrection. As such, faith in the work of Lord Jesus grants us access to God, both allowing us to be drawn into his ever-expanding family and opening our hearts to God the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5, verses 1-5 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance, Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. When we place our faith in Lord Jesus, we are made into new creations, born again through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus paid for our inherent and willful sins with his blood, which was shed on the cross. Section 3. What assurance do Christians have? Being forgiven for our sins and being given hope of our salvation mean nothing if there is no assurance from God of these events. After all, what would be the point of choosing to follow after Lord Jesus if there was no guarantee that forgiveness and salvation were permanent? If there is no guarantee, then that would mean that Lord Jesus' sacrifice was not done with sufficient power or grace to effect a permanent change. In the Gospel of John, Lord Jesus speaks of our assurance of salvation and our assurance of forgiveness. John chapter 6 verses 37 through 40. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. These words of Lord Jesus are the assurance Christians have that our sins, past, present, and future, are indeed forgiven. These words of Lord Jesus are our assurance that we will not die and find ourselves alienated from God.
These words of Lord Jesus are our assurance that when we die, we will be with God until the new heavens and new earth are finally ushered in. Now, I know a lot of this is actually review from our previous podcasts and seasons, but this is always great stuff to review and to be reminded of. So thank you so much for sticking with me. Section 4. Are there consequences for sin after our conversion? So far today, we've covered what we are saved from, how we are saved, and what assurance we have. Now let's circle back to our original question for today. Do Christians suffer consequences for their sins? I stated at the beginning of this podcast that, yes, indeed, there are consequences. And now you might be thinking, but wait, you just said Lord Jesus gives forgiveness and assurance of salvation. Does that not mean that a Christian is now free to do whatever they want? They can even murder their friend, right? Now, this is really important to note. When we become adopted by God, we become adopted by an eternal Father who will never leave us. God is love, and to love is to will the good of the other. Christians, although being made into new creations through the power of the Holy Spirit, will continue to sin. We are still susceptible to temptation and still given free will by God to act within or outside His will. And this is actually a grace given to us. God does not make us into robots. He still gives us free will, meaning that those of us who choose faith are choosing to love Him. Another important note, a Christian's sin does not undo the effectiveness of Lord Jesus' sacrifice, nor does it negate our assurance of salvation. Otherwise, all Christians everywhere would be living lives of fear instead of hope. We'd be living lives where we're constantly trying to figure out, have we done enough good to outweigh the bad? Be living in the fear of punishment. But God the Father did not give us a spirit of fear. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Forgiveness of sins and assurance of salvation does not mean Christians don't or won't suffer consequences for their sins. For instance, An alcoholic faces the consequences of losing his job, ruining his marriage and health, causing distance from his family and faith community, imprisonment, and the accompanying feelings of guilt and shame which distances him from God. You see, these are all consequences allowed by God. 
Now, they aren't caused by God. They are negative consequences which are allowed by God in order to discipline a wayward child for his wrongdoings. The intention is never to forever alienate a person, nor to cast them away from God's presence. If anything, consequences are allowed by God so that person realizes the consequences for their sins. And in so doing, they may once again turn from those sins and turn back into the loving embrace of God. This is an ongoing process for Christians. In fact, as Christians experience consequences for their sins, the consequences themselves are a reminder that they are still loved by God. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 13. For consider him, Lord Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit, so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. Before we wrap up our conversation today, I want to take a moment and address the issue of murder in regards to this discussion because this tends to be the biggest sticking point in many of my conversations surrounding the issue of consequences of sin. A Christian who has made a sincere profession of faith, who is adopted into the family of God, and whose heart has been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, will not want to murder his friend. Period. You see, faith, is not just giving mental assent to a set of facts. It is becoming a servant of God and dedicating our mind, body, and soul to service with God. When we come to faith in Lord Jesus in this way, our former way of living is removed and a new way of living through God, the Holy Spirit, occurs. Of this, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. 
take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. To put it simply, a heart operating out of a place of anger and murder is not the heart of a Christian who understands that the grace given through Lord Jesus is given because of the sacrifice of the Son of God. A heart operating out of a place of anger and murder is not a heart that has been transformed and sprinkled clean by God. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Lord Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. My friend, let me leave you with a few thoughts. Belief in Lord Jesus is not a license for Christians to think and act any way they want. Yes, Christians sin, but that does not exempt us from consequences and discipline from God. But fatherly discipline is such that draws us back toward God. It is not the kind that further alienates us from Him. And over time, that discipline builds us up from spiritual infancy to maturity so that we can be models of faith to those around us. God is love, and to love is to will the good of the other. Sincere faith makes us servants to God's will, which is revealed in and through the example of Lord Jesus and is given to us as a gift of grace when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. My friend, if you think you're too far away from God, just know this. If you turn toward Him in full faith of everything Lord Jesus said and did, and if you give yourself wholly to Him, you will have the same assurance of forgiveness and salvation as everyone else in this beautiful, growing family. Well, once again, thank you so much for joining me. I hope and pray that you continue to seek God, asking for visions and clarity on all these Christian claims. And if you'd like some good resources on the material I covered today, I recommend taking a look at the Lexham Bible Dictionary, the New American Commentary on Hebrews by David Allen, and as always, I recommend the CSB Study Bible, which is, of course, the Bible translation I use. And if you don't have a Bible... I recommend downloading the YouVersion app and selecting the CSB version from the list of translations. That's YouVersion, as in Y-O-U version. 
and that sound means it's about time to wrap up. Before we close our time together, I want to remind you to hit that subscribe button and leave a review. The more reviews the podcast receives, the more it comes up as a recommendation for others. And the more it comes up as a recommendation, the more other folks get a chance to hear answers to their thoughtful questions. And speaking of questions, if you have a specific question you want to address in this podcast, feel free to email me at revericjmason at gmail.com. And if you want to support this podcast, feel free to send an email to, again, that same email address, revericjmason at gmail.com. I also encourage you to reach out to a Christian friend or coworker and ask them about the things you hear on this podcast. If you hear something about Islam you didn't know before, research it or ask your Muslim friends or imam about it. Well, from my home recording studio in the Little India neighborhood in Chicago, Illinois, to wherever you're listening, I want to say thank you so much for continuing our conversation. Thank you, and God bless. <laughs>